Jesus. Someone's gonna break him! Oh god, what did I just pour into my gullet? I have her! I like them on my face. That tongue was huge! I want the guy to be home. Welcome to the eighth episode of the long-awaited Amazing Race Australia 2 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Holmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who is used to doing things with one hand that makes everything slippy, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who we're not letting have any food or shut eye as we go through this season, Michelle Pierce Denovan. Well, that is correct. Good morning. That is 100% true, because when we recorded the episode 5 one, Michelle was complaining that she could smell bacon, and we wouldn't let her have any. <laughs> it's the classic Michelle Pierce Denovan refrain of, oh my god, someone's cooking bacon. Correct, but not this morning. Not right now. No. You're escaping it at the moment. By the time we finish this episode, maybe. Maybe. I could be I could be lucky. <laughs> and this is an episode that I think people forget how terribly produced this episode is. Oh well, we get two major things that are completely edited out of the episode. Three, I guess, if you carried over from the previous D tour from last leg that went on air. Yeah, and there's a production decision from Last Leg that definitely impacts this episode and the elimination of this episode. In that, as I teased last episode, the distinction between Double End Legs and Keep On Racing Legs is blurred at best in Amazing Race history. For example, Amazing Race Australia 1's one was definitely a Double End Leg because there was no rest period. There was nothing to stop people, basically. This one, I have always argued, is a Double End Leg. The Cuba leg, or the Turkey to France to Cuba leg of this season, is a double-length leg in my mind. At the start of the season, Grant Bowler said, there's 12 legs in this season. When Paul and Steve check in, in first again at the end of this episode, he says, you've done it three legs on the trot now. However, <laughs> production do not consider this a double-length leg. They consider it a keep-on-racing leg. And the reason you can tell that is Grace and Joseph's penalty. Because if they had assessed the penalty at the end of the leg, as they should have done, Grace and Joe wouldn't have had shut eye for two hours at the Hotel National, and they would have got eliminated at the end of Cuba. And Sticky and Sam would have been safe. Yeah, they would have had the they wouldn't have had that semi equalizer with the marina the Hemingway Marina. No. I think it's deeply unfair that Joseph and Grace basically get away with their two hour penalty at the end of the last leg, leading into this episode, and essentially screw over Sticky and Sam in the process. I don't know why, but I forgot that St- Joseph and Grace actually get penalised for for the taxi incident. Just because it wasn't an outright stealing of the taxi that the cab driver agreed to take them instead of James and Sarah, because in the American version, you're allowed to do that without penalty, as long as the cab driver consents to it. The distinction is it's not the stealing of the cab that got them the penalty, it's the moving James and Sarah's backs. That got them the penalty. So the cab driver has to take the bags out. Yeah, if the cab driver had taken the bags out, they wouldn't have got a penalty. The cab driver did not take the bags out, and instead they just did it and laughed. They got the penalty for it, but because it was assessed before they'd even had a chance to be equalised, the penalty was null and void. Yeah, it didn't make that much of an impact on this round. It made zero impact, because they then got to go to the marina, sign up for a boat, and sleep in the marina for a few hours. Mm. As well as two hours in the lawn chairs at Hotel Nacional. So, I think if I were sticking in Sam, I would maybe be more irritated about that than the fact that the actual reason they got eliminated was uh, cut out of this episode. Yeah, because they used their express pass, which we never learned they had an express pass, and the must-boat U-turn also went completely unaired too. I can't recall a time where a team's reason for being eliminated or just the story of their last leg is not quite fabricated, but 90% of the details are completely left out that people would be interested in knowing about. I think it would have been very interesting if they had assessed a two-hour penalty at the end of this leg, because I think it would have been very close between Sticky and Sam and Joseph and Grace. Joseph and Grace still would have gone home, but I think it probably would have been 
within an hour of the penalty. Oh my gosh, Sam wouldn't like to hear this. Sticky and Sam are quite, they're still on my group. Like they say things now and again, and Sam really wants another go. Have some more standards. Wait until Seven revive it again. It's been cancelled anyway. I know, but he just, God, he'd be so pissed off if he thought of it this way, if if he hasn't already, you know. I would put money on the fact that in the last 11 years since this season aired, Sticky and Sam have not had sleepless nights about shoulda, woulda, coulda on this leg. Because as much as they are quite chill guys, they did kind of get production screwed here. Mm. As much as obviously we're causing Michael McKay to come on the podcast, there's some questions to be answered from this leg, I would say. It definitely leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So, previously, seven teams flew to Paris, which became the city of hate for James and Sarah when Joseph and Grace stole their taxi. In Havana, classic cars put the brakes on some teams, Paul and Steve won the leg, but all they actually won was their next clue. And I love how everyone was turfed out from the hotel that we can see when Paul and Steve leave. All of the uh, people actually staying in the hotel have to kind of crowd around the entrance because they're not allowed into the plaza bit where the pit stop is. And teams must now drive themselves in their classic cars to Marina Hemingway and sign up for one of seven charter boats, leaving in four groups 30 minutes apart. We pick back up with Shane and Andrew, whose car keeps dropping into neutral, and luckily they find a local guy who gets their car going again. After swimming in the bonnet, basically. (laughs) (laughs) That looked dangerous with how far he was leaning in. I just expect him to just fall in and have the bonnet shut in on him, and then he'd be driving around Havana with the guy locked in the car. Well, bear in mind at the start of the Havana bit of this, Andrew described the cars as death traps. It's not out of the question for him to actually have got traps in there. (laughs) And Joseph and Grace sought their stalling by joining a Cuban house party. And one of the women at the party fixes a fuse for them using a wire on the floor and gets them going again. I like how Grace was dancing the whole time and Joseph is the only one who's outside dealing with the woman. (laughs) That's totally normal. Joseph just looks so done with this entire race in his confessionals. And later on in the leg, his voice even sounds like it's dying too. It sounds really coarse when he's talking to Grace. Sounds very rough. Yeah, I mean, at this point, they've been racing for 36 plus hours. And arguably, they could have got some sleep on the uh, the daytime flights from Istanbul to Paris and Paris to Havana, but it's not the easiest situation for them to have flown. Just later on, when they disagree over which detour to do, Joseph is too tired to argue and argue his case. He's like, okay, Grace, we'll try this one, and I know you're going to really suck at it, so I'm I'm too tired to convince you right now, so I'll just wait for you to realize that we need to change to the other detour task. Hmm. She says, um, it's silly to go out over the two-hour penalty. Well, I'm sorry, love. Don't do something wrong then. Don't break a rule. Don't sell your shoes for money. It's not against the rules, apart from the fact that it very much is. <laughs> so Shane and Andrew inexplicably get to the Tropicana in third, and the cliffhanger from last week with Lucy and Amelia stalling on a train track just gets resolved as Amelia drives. It's the worst cliffhanger ever. <laughs> yeah. Very, very misleading. Oh no, we might get run over train. Oh wait, wait, we're, we're fine now. We're fine now. James and Sarah realise they're in the middle of the pack now, as they see Lucy and Amelia. And usually most people, when they see Lucy and Amelia, think, oh no, we're in the back of the pack now. But this time it's actually a good thing. But yeah, it's the one time where a team catches up to Lucy and Amelia. So Shane and Andrew check in in third, and they are confused. No pit stop, no food, and no shut-eye. And then we see Paul and Steve sign up for the first charter at 8am with Michelle and Joe getting the second one at the same time. James and Sarah then checking in fourth with Lucy and Amelia in fifth and their reaction is just delightful again. It's almost Dubai levels. Yeah, Lucy has the exact same facial expression as in Dubai. Not only because of finding out that they're in fifth because I assume she thought they were last again because of James and Sarah overtaking them at Tropicana. Then her face resets and then Grant says, oh no, this leg is not over yet. And then she has the same Dubai expression a second time in the span of about 20 seconds. And then the the pain of when she reads the clue where it says, drive yourself. She just, just the two words, drive yourself. And then Lucy says, oh no, I have to try and get myself back into that car again. I don't want to go back in the car, is the exact quote. Yeah. 
Shane and Andrew then check in to the third shuttle at 8.30. Sticky and Sam get lost again on the way to the pit stop. Joseph and Grace are the sixth to arrive, but they get a two-hour penalty for pulling James and Sarah's bags out of the cab. And the screen actually asks whether Joseph and Grace's penalty is fair. And unsurprisingly, given my rant at the start of this episode, the answer is no, it is not. It should have been assessed at the end of the actual leg rather than halfway through. But if they say, is it fair, it is a fair penalty. It's just when it happens you're not happy with. It's a fair penalty, it's just not assessed fairly. Yeah. And then James refers to it as a pit pause or a pit continue. Yep, getting himself his first episode title. James and Sarah sign up for the fourth boat at 8.30 with Lucy and Amelia on the fifth boat at 9. Sticky and Sam then check in during Joseph and Grace's penalty time. It's checking in sixth. And Joseph and Grace are last, but unsurprisingly, to keep on racing leg, they can keep going. Sticky and Sam check into the sixth boat at 9.30 with Joseph and Grace leaving on the last boat at the exact same time, meaning the two-hour penalty was pointless. And then Grace says, Whoa, James and Sarah are ahead. Just that complete shock of, oh, they're capable. Given that she's basically left Paul alone now, and given that she didn't end up U-turning Paul in this leg, has Paul just stopped reacting and she's now moved on to another target? Well, Grace can't pick on Paul because Paul's always ahead of her. Yeah. Paul and Steve have been in first place for four consecutive episodes by this point. So it's pretty tough to pick on somebody you never see. I did find something very interesting when looking at RFF about this episode, and it's going back to the Paul and Grace incident. There was a news article when that episode aired that was all of the teams from Victoria, including Sarah and James, rallied around Paul here. Because they said exactly the same thing that I did when we covered that episode, and that is you don't actually see it on screen. You never see Paul do anything to her, really. Which I thought was very interesting. There was also a rumour that Hugh Jackman was going to be taking over hosting this season because Grant Bowler wasn't available, he was doing a film. <laughs> Is this like the Steve Irwin really? Australian Outback rumour? <laughs> Apparently oh so, yeah. Gosh, as if. They can barely afford Bo Ryan. And then someone had to quietly say, you do realise that Grant has been seen in Dubai, right, with his family. He's <laughs> definitely hosting this season. Wolverine. The other thing that I found out that's kind of hilarious uh, is something Michelle might actually be able to answer because there was a rumour that they went to the UK in this season because of the flags that were hanging at the uh, launch party for this season. Really? Yes. And as far as I can tell, the only reason they thought that they were going to England, other than the fact that Tower Bridge is in the titles, which it wasn't last season Big Ben was, is the fact that they mistook a picture that featured the Australian flag, because it has a Union flag in the top left corner, for an actual full Union flag. Oh, jeez. That's that's hilarious. Yeah, that's the only way I can kind of interpret it. Strange. And at some point in the first half of the season as well, Michelle and Joe lost their passport. Or one of their passports. Oh. They found it quickly, but they uh, there was apparently a trailer that um, had some unaired scenes in it, one of which was Michelle and Joe losing their passport. Hmm. So when teams board their respective charters, they find the roadblock, which is who's feeling a little bit nautical. In this roadblock, one team member must use a nautical chart and compass to find an old fisherman who will give them their next clue. If they cannot find the fisherman, they can catch a fish instead to exchange for their next clue. And if they fail to perform either challenge within an hour, they will get a four-hour penalty, which, if you're Joseph and Grace, will then get negated by some sort of bullshit thing from production. Is this? I'm trying to think of other roadblocks where there are multiple ways, like completely contrasting ways to complete it. Yeah, I can't think of another one. How do you feel about that? I wouldn't mind it if either of them were actually interesting. The only thing that was interesting was everyone vomiting at inappropriate times, <laughs> either when reading when reading the clue or trying to communicate. <laughs> Northeast! Mm. <laughs> Northeast! Let's mm. quote Amelia. Go north! Blah. Go north! <laughs> yeah, the problem is, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, looking at people doing a puzzle, as one of the detail sides is, is pretty hard to recap. Looking at people looking at a map is pretty hard to recap. Watching people fishing, not interesting in the slightest. So it's kind of tough, this leg. It's a pretty good fish he caught. 
Shane's fish is humongous. Yeah. yeah. It was a massive fish he caught. He should be proud of that. It'd be funny if they just start snacking on it. Yeah, the problem is watching him fishing for an hour, probably not that interesting. Yeah. Have you ever used a map, like, nautically, with coordinates and things? No. Neither have I. Neither have I. I couldn't imagine trying to learn how to use a nautical map after pure exhaustion and traveling across three continents all in one go. Yeah. And sleeping in a marina for four hours. (laughs) (laughs) I do wonder where the must-vote U-turn board was in this leg, because realistically it has to have been at the marina. But also they've got to have done it in a way that meant that teams couldn't see who each other were U-turning, surely. Maybe it's like right when they showed up there, then they got to use it. Or it could have been at the Hotel National, right after they get the clue from Grant maybe on the way out, then they use the board. Because the problem is, obviously, there was no sightings of the Musvote U-turn board. The only reason we know about it is Sticky and Sam talking about it after nine years or whatever it was. Who was U-turned? Sticky and Sam. That's the reason Sticky and Sam went. Right. Because four teams U-turned Sticky and Sam, two teams U-turned Paul and Steve, and Lucy and Amelia continuing their Shane and Andrew are a threat thing, U-turned Shane and Andrew. And they used the express pass on the puzzle. Yes. But the problem is they then had to backtrack and do that, and then lost time and went into last as a result of it. But yeah, the problem with structuring the must-vote U-turn board after this pit pause, as, uh, as it's dubbed in the episode is the fact that you could have teams arriving at exactly the same time, and you'd have to implement some sort of queuing system, because otherwise the whole idea of teams doing it anonymously kind of goes by the wayside like they do by U-turn. Yeah. I don't know where you'd actually be able to implement that. I'm sure they would have been a way to sequester them, like, oh, here's the spot, go over here and make sure that no one else can be there simultaneously when they cast their vote. Yeah, the other thing I can think of is they did it at the marina, and during the four-hour rest period or confessional period or whatever they said, you guys go up there one at a time and film your must-vote-user choices. Yeah, in Amazing Race Australia 4, they had the really bizarre one where it was all done completely off-screen, wasn't it? Where they were... Bo says, oh, by the way, there's a must-vote U-turn. You don't see them do it or cast any votes, but just trust me, they all voted. I think you're putting a lot of faith into me actually having watched any of the Bo Ryan seasons through choice, which I did not. <laughs> so it's Steve, Joe, Shane, James, Amelia, Sam and Joseph doing the roadblock. And Joe says North was facing so many different ways and she cries and knows that she's out of her league with this challenge. This is her only breakdown, I recall, for the season. Did she not break down with the whole foot massage challenge? Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> I have vivid memories without having rewatched that episode yet of um, Michelle and Joe not really enjoying that challenge too much. But here, this was this seemed almost like a, just a meltdown out of fatigue rather than frustration. This was just, I'm so exhausted and overwhelmed. I have no idea what to do. Yeah, bear in mind the previous evening when they were driving to the Hotel National, they were screaming at each other for the only time during the season. They're already kind of at each other's throats and then, yeah, tensions were heightened during this challenge. I like how uh, Michael McKay and the production crew, I think, are fans of Nick Lachey because they were told to be 98 degrees from the Russian embassy. Jeez. The main problem that I have with this whole find the old man of the sea challenge is the fact that it's a bit too easy for teams to copy each other. Isn't it? We see it twice. There's two teams who copy of another team just because they can see them talking to the old man in the sea. But also, Steve has the tactic of going to the general area and just looking for individual boats. Which arguably is doing half of the challenge. But it's sort of against the spirit of the challenge more than anything. Yeah, he's not using any... He's not using the compass or the map to guide him. It's just, oh, I see boats in this area that clearly belong to this challenge. Yeah, I appreciate the logic from Steve, because at least he did do the 98 degrees bit of it. But also it's a little bit of a cop-out to just go, oh, there's three boats here, I'm just going to go to all three of them. Or or Amelia when she's trying to figure out, like, 98 degrees from the Russian embassy, so how do we know which one is the Russian embassy? (laughs) Without actually having looked at a nautical chart. Yeah, just uh, maybe it's just a replica of of the red square, a gigantic hammer and sickle and gigantic billboard of Putin. It's like, oh, there's the Russian embassy. 
Are there that many embassies in Havana? Fair amount, because a lot of countries still maintain relations with Cuba, especially Canada. It's really interesting with the American embassy. They put up a bunch of poles to blockade the view of the American embassy. Yeah, because I'm genuinely interested about embassies when I go to to cities like this. And I mean, I'll have some Beijing stories when we get to that episode in, in a few weeks' time. But I wasn't sure whether there actually would be that many embassies. Because usually the American embassies you can see from miles because they have like marble eagles and the biggest flag possible. Both of which can actually be found at the Singaporean US embassy. Well, it really sticks out in Havana because, yeah, it's just a bunch of poles around. It's like, well, I guess this has to be the American one. (laughs) So the sea gets a little bit rocky when you get out past the headland and Michelle and Joe, it's fair to say, are not the best when it comes to being on the sea. They're not going to be doing any cheerleading in in an aquarium anytime soon. So James guesses that it's navigation, and they rock, paper, scissors for it, and James loses. And it is indeed navigation, much to Sarah's amusement. And it is Steve who finds the old man first, and gets the clue for the detail, which is daiquiri guzzle or che puzzle. The query? The quarry? The quarry? The quarry muzzle? Goozle. We're going to get to that with Grace, because yet again, production love Grace mispronouncing things. And... She does end up saying, oh, I love daiquiris. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't actually know how to pronounce one, did you? Exactly. I wonder how Paul feels that he butchered a word worse than Grace did. It's daiquiri goozle. And nobody can say Che either. Nobody's aware of Che Guevara. Yeah, I was very surprised by that. Even Lucy and Amelia, who say K, I think it was. (laughs) Oh, yeah, someone said, oh, Sarah, when she's trying to pronounce his name. Yeah, the guy was on all the t-shirts, you know, uh, was K, Che, Chi, Cho. Those were the, those were her <laughs> guesses. Cho, yes, Cho Chang from Harry Potter is a popular figure in Cuba. You know what? He isn't like, I know a lot of general knowledge crap, so I know of him, but in Australia, it's not a big thing. Like information from that country or general knowledge isn't really known from a lot of South American and African countries, especially here. We generally know lots of Western stuff, but not that sort of stuff. So I'm not that surprised, but you know, I knew who he was straight away. Yeah. So the argument I will say about that is the fact that If you are going to be going to a country on The Amazing Race and you've got a ten and a half hour flight from Paris, for example, maybe you do a little bit of research of the likely things to come up. Because if you do a Google search on Cuban stereotypes, I would probably put money on the fact you'll find Che Guevara, you'll find Cuban dancing, you'll find, for example, daiquiris, given that they're very much associated with Cuba. It'll be daiquiris or mojitos for sure, and then cigars. This is the sort of thing that a good Amazing Race team would then do research about when they've got the time. Yeah, Chase not even Cuban. He's actually from Argentina. Mm. And then he became involved with Cuba. That's why he was never allowed to be the leader, because he was never born in Cuba. Mm. He liked his motorcycle, though. What I don't understand is if, if she likes daiquiris, because obviously they're a big thing in Australia, right? They're, they're everywhere. She never reads, like she never reads the cocktail menu to know that that's a daiquiri. I was just flabbergasted that she just couldn't read. Like what, what is that? The 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 curie. The curie. The curie. Do you know where the name daiquiri comes from? Uh, No, I don't. Uh, It's named after a village in Cuba, where they come from. Really? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, that's... That's uh, where the name Dakari comes from. Cho Guevara really liked his Dakiris. Yeah. <laughs> so in Dakiri Goozle, teams must head to the El Floridita bar, make six Dakiris, and deliver them only <laughs> using one hand to the Hotel Ambos Mundos, where Ernest Hemingway stayed, and will give them the next clue if they don't spill enough liquid. In Che Puzzle, teams must drive themselves to Old Havana and complete a 90-piece jigsaw of Che Guevara's face to get their next clue. Which one would you guys have picked? Puzzle. Puzzle. Especially if it's if it's Che Puzzle, I'm 
I'm thinking, well, I wonder whose face it's going to be, especially when I've been to Plaza de la Revolución or the Independence Plaza, too, where you see the gigantic Che faces everywhere, too. You'd pick Puzzle even with your history of Jigsaw, Saunders. <laughs> it's 90 pieces isn't that much. And I'd have help. I would always choose Puzzle. Yeah, how many pieces were those Jigsaws we had to do in the Amazing Race LRG that we really struggled at? It was a few hundred, was it? I don't think it was as many as 90, to be honest. It's one of the few tasks that we really struggled at, was that puzzle. Hmm. At least it's not a slide puzzle. Yeah, very true. (laughs) But drink tray, I just know I have shaky hands. I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to carry all those drinks successfully, especially when they have the band, the clowns on stilts, uh, somebody breathing fire into your face. Uh, the person randomly playing screaming sound effects, people of children running by trying to knock down the drinks, probably the same children who were knocking the pots off of the oxen cart uh, in India. I think I would have picked Puzzle, but I think it would have been a tougher choice, and it's only because the weight on your hand would have really been difficult to cope with. I mean, six daiquiris or six daiquiris is... um, or Dequeries or whatever Paul and Grace say. <laughs> that would be a hefty amount of weight on your wrist. Far more than you kind of think, especially if you've got to walk eight blocks from El Florida to Ambos Mundos. I don't know why she'd even think it would be easy. Like, yeah, I'm so, I, I'd be like him. I'd be so frustrated. What do you like? How on earth can you possibly think that is an easy challenge? And also, the puzzle area where it's all outdoor would be really easy to find in Holt, in old Havana, as opposed to looking for a very specific bar somewhere in old Havana. That's a big difference too. Cause I was trying to look for specific places when I was in old, old Havana. And sometimes you can be walking around in circles for quite a bit. If I'd known that they were going to get the edges on it, I think I definitely would have gone for puzzle straight away. Cause that made things a lot easier for them. So Joe copies Steve's boat choice while heaving and manages to find the old man, and that is cheating in a sauerkraut way. While they're reading the detour clue, Michelle is heaving and ends up vomiting over the side of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Daiquiri! <laughs> Puzzle! Guzzle! <laughs> Jay! <laughs> so funny. And because of the sheer difficulty that they had the previous day, they're given actual nice new cars to drive in queue with the second bit of the leg. (laughs) However, the funniest bit of it for me is the fact that they are obviously not able to get Hondas, so they have to put duct tape over the badge on the steering wheel. That's a good catch. I think it's when Steve and Michelle are driving, you can see there is some sort of duct tape on uh, on the steering wheel. And it's over where the logo would be. So presumably, they were not Hondas. I like how they, Michelle and Joe still couldn't reverse the car. Where it's like, oh, thank goodness, we don't have those terrible Cuban cars. Oh, we, we still can't go anywhere. <laughs> We've had this argument before. Either lift the gear stick or move it to the left. Really? It's not hard. Yeah. They're the two main options for uh, for reversing in most modern cars. Is either lift the gear stick or lift a button on the gear stick. Or just move it to the left. Mm. I didn't know. I when I heard that they couldn't move it, I thought, well, how? Like, what is the difference? And yeah, you've just told me. I assume they were given better cars because if they broke down the old cars way outside of Havana, to send a replacement car would take way too long for production. How? How were they allowed to get help? Who? who on the help? puzzles. On the puzzles. I guess it wasn't yeah, it wasn't against the rules for the locals to help to help them out. Yeah, being perfectly honest, production were probably at the point where they were just like, Yeah, we need to get these guys some sleep. Let's just do it as quickly as possible. They can do whatever they want now. Because they hired a driver, uh, somebody Joseph and Grace hired a guy to lead them out onto the highway after the detour, I think. A couple of teams did, because two teams also split the uh, split the cost of a driver. I think it was Michelle and Joe and Shane and Andrew. Yes, that too. This was oh, that's another thing I want to point out. This is one of those this is the first time we really see Shane and Andrew and Michelle and Joe start to align a bit. And overall, by the end of this leg, it becomes very, very clear that 
Paul and Steve, Michelle and Joe, and Shane and Andrew are a very clear top three. And then the other three teams that are left over are a very clear bottom three. So it's going to become a recurring pattern all the way till the end of the season. Mm. So the clue for puzzle says that they have to park on Washington Avenue and walk, and Paul and Steve find a Washington Avenue that is five miles away from the detour. So just decide to swap for the easy one. One way to know if you're nowhere near Old Havana is if the is if the cobblestone or just the ground that you're walking on is completely different. If you're walking on dirt, you're not in Old Havana. Because the reason how they in Old Havana why they have the cobblestone there is because whoever was the leader at the time was expecting popular foreign leaders from overseas to come visit, so they completely redid the area. But then the the I think the foreign officials didn't end up coming, so they were just left with the cobblestone that you see in Old Havana today. They're like, oh, this looks nice, so we're just going to keep it. And that's then that's where all the tourists typically go. And that's where a lot of the museums are and a lot of the Hemingway stuff. So Shane catches a fish and leaves in third, and he holds it up as they come back in to gloat. Amelia gets seasick suddenly and ends up vomiting over the side of the boat whilst giving instructions. And as I said, Shane and Andrew team up with Michelle and Joe to find the detail location. Paul is a non-drinker, so has zero experience in making drinks. And something they don't mention in the episode is the fact that Steve was a barman for two years in an Australian-themed bar in Manchester in England. That's another one of Steve's skills that's coming into play here between the jewellery and uh, knowing how to cook and now he can bartend. But they never mention it. That's the hilarious thing. Like, it never gets brought up on the episode. I only know it because I knew that Steve worked at Walkabout. The other thing to note, you know that Paul is not a drinker at all when he had no idea how to pronounce the word daiquiri. It's the only word he mispronounces, I think, the whole season in the clue. So when he's saying, when he's pronouncing the same, a word the same way as grace, then as soon as I heard that, I was thinking, hmm, I don't think Paul drinks whatsoever. You are mispronouncing daiquiri. <laughs> My brother used to make his own daiquiris. Well, since you were last in, uh, in Shea Harmstone, uh, Mum, Dad and Mark have all got very much into cocktails to the point that our lovely neighbours who have the best dog in the whole entire world, Ludo, brought over a hamper today with personalised uh, martini glasses in it, including one for me, even though they know I don't drink. So uh, I suspect those will be getting used for uh, for cocktails at the weekend. But yeah, during, uh, during a lockdown, like most other people, they very much turned to alcohol and got into cocktails. My family are not alcoholics, unless you consider the definition of an alcoholic someone who drinks more than you that you don't like. I see. <laughs> they will never listen to this. I, I can tell these jokes. <laughs> so Paul ends up having to use his left arm to swat people away as he has to walk through an entire parade with the uh, the daiquiris. And then it just happens to be Grace walking by and he accidentally swats Grace. I didn't mean to do that. I wish he accidentally knocked over the guy on stilts or the guy on stilts is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So Michelle and Joe get help from the locals to solve their puzzle and Shane and Andrew are inspired by them and get help too. Sam leaves in sixth and says that they caught a lucky break, but it's the first time they are in the back of the pack in the entire race. And he doesn't notice Joseph copy off them and leave in last. Oh, and we, um, that one hour time limit at the roadblock, we kind of glanced over that, but that was kind of an interesting way to do it where if you didn't either catch a fish or find the boat within one hour, then you get a four hour penalty. It didn't even seem entirely fair either when teams were able to easily copy over who they thought had found the right boat and it got to the point where james and sarah are really really close to an automatic four-hour penalty because the the skipper tells james you have to pick either this boat or that boat and if you pick the wrong one you're you've got a four-hour penalty and you don't get any more equalizers like joseph and grace did i'll be honest i think it's a bit of a surprise that they did it this way because if you cast your mind back to the Dubai leg, in that lime challenge, a lime? <laughs> all of the teams had different numbers. So what they should have done, really, is had everyone have to go to a different boat. That's what I was thinking, too. It should just be one clue per boat, or having a specific assigned boat, and each boat has different coordinates. Yeah, it seems it's, That's unusually sloppy, too. Amongst the other sloppy things that happened this leg, too 
have everyone go to the same boat so people are completing the task with very minimal effort or in James's case just completely luck into it to avoid the four-hour penalty that he shouldn't have even been at risk at to get in the first place. Four hours is a very long penalty too. Like production would have to wait around for that amount of time like you may as well just leave it at two. Yeah but four hours is the traditional one. And I mean, assuming that we trust them that it was four hours in the Istanbul one as well, then it's kind of keeping it fair throughout the season. I just think, as Logan said, that it's a little bit sloppy on production, this. And this is not nearly the only thing in this episode that is ever so slightly sloppy from production. Well, look, you haven't even watched Australia 6. You have no idea about the penalties. Like, Logan, you know, you'd watch it and you'd like, minutes? okay, what's the penalty now? Is it half an hour? Is it an hour? Is it 15 minutes? Like, you'd never know what the penalty was going to be. <laughs> yeah, Michelle, I had 21 episodes of Bindles messaging me all the hilariously nonsense things that they had done on Australia 6. I'm well aware of them. I just don't need to watch them. One oh team has come out of quarantine, so they're going to have to do a speed bump, and we're going to do a bunch of tasks. They're going to be in second or third place out of eight teams. And then right before the pit stop, we're going to have an equalizer and then the speed bump. So they were guaranteed to go home no matter what they did. Unless the vegan team somehow made it that far and then would just quit then. But other than that, no chance of survival. It was so weird. And then even, uh, I think Kelly and Georgia did an AMA on Reddit or an ongoing AMA on Reddit over the past few weeks. And people were asking, so can you explain to us the rules behind the penalties? Because it makes zero sense since there's zero consistency. And then Kelly and Georgia, because I assume they're trying to get on an all-star season, said, oh, well, what you guys don't understand is you had to try a task for a certain length of time, and then production would tell you what the penalty was when they realize you're in last place. What? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, my argument is, especially after re-watching this episode, I don't think that anyone really can call this a good episode of Amazing Race Australia 2, compared to the rest, especially apart from, obviously, the terrible turkey leg, because it is just so sloppy from production. There's so much in this episode that it's a surprise that this production team especially didn't cut down on. Stuff like the distinction between the double length leg and the keep on racing, which actively screwed a team out of the race. Or stuff like this, where they should have just, given the sheer amount of fishermen that were out there, just arranged for seven fishermen to be out there with different coordinates. It wouldn't have cost them that much more money. They do a callback joke for Michelle and Joe when they were at the detour, because when they read they were going to Cuba, uh, when they found out found that out in Paris... It was Michelle or Joe who said, oh, I can't wait to see the hot black men there. And then during the detour, Michelle and Joe say, oh, we need to look for the big black pieces. I'm thinking, oh, geez, is that supposed to be an ed- editor's joke? Yeah, careful, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sticky says that he ran a bar for five years, so obviously they pick Goozle. And Grace can't pronounce Daiquiri or Guzzle. And she has a listening impairment, but what can you do? Little sisters, am I right? Michelle, as a little sister, would your brother say those words? (laughs) Do you have a listening impairment and do you not listen correctly? Do you have a listening impairment when it comes to tasks involving the query uh, goozles? I think Michelle's just in shock with us now. Like, seriously. (laughs) And right after that, with Joseph and Grace's uh, listening impairment confessional is when Sarah has the chi, chi, ke, che, cho confusion when trying to recall Che Guevara. So Amelia's tactic is to go around the edges, aka the tactic of literally anyone who's ever done a jigsaw in their whole entire life. And Paul and Steve leave Daiquiri in first. And teams must now drive themselves to Australia. Australia? <laughs> a village that used to be home to an Australian sugar mill. And once there, they must each feed and catch a crocodile at a farm to get their next clue. And I will also point out that when Hammerots went to uh, went to Cuba, they did also go to Australia. I'm not sure if they did the same joke, but they did go to Australia in the end. But first, teams must visit the must-vote U-turn board somewhere in Old Havana, let's be honest, to see if they have been U-turned. 
Shane and Andrew leave Puzzle in second, with Michelle and Joe in third. Both teams mutually hire a taxi to get them onto the freeway towards Australia. I noticed that when Shane and Andrew were getting local help to put the puzzle together, there was a soundtrack playing in the background that sounded very similar to What's Love by Fat Joe and Ashanti. It sounded almost identical in beat. Hmm. I found out when uh, when looking at RFF that they thought that Shane and Andrew were a father-son team. <laughs> How? That's awesome. Yeah, I guess Andrew's the son? Yeah, Andrew's Jeez. Andrew's only about 10 years younger. God. But it did really make me laugh when I read that. It's just like, father-son? question mark. And it was like, oh boy. I'm sure those guys didn't get the piss ripped out of them at work for that. Sticky says that he's used to doing stuff with one hand, but the ice melts and makes everything slip a little bit and make it harder for him. <laughs> Presented without comment. He knew exactly what he was saying. Yeah. I think production, when they set up this challenge, were just hoping that someone would talk about having to do things with one hand and make it vaguely hilarious. And Sarah has a different tactic at the puzzle, which is refusing literally any help from the locals whatsoever. And refusing to work with her partner to complete the puzzle. Where she just gets impatient, ignores everything that James had been working on in terms of strategy, and Sarah just starts handing him random pieces. Sarah insisting that they aren't random. The best thing about it for me is the fact we have that Sarah and James confessional where she's just like, yeah, I always think I'm right, but James never proves to me that I'm wrong. (laughs) And one other thing I noticed about James and Sarah, James is wearing two vests. Two? Yeah, he's wearing a black one and a grey one. He's wearing the grey one over the black one. So they do that confessional in Vancouver? No, it's, um, it's entirely from this... This leg, because if you notice, when they do the confessionals, they're always wearing the same clothing anyway, so they can just slide them in. But yeah, James is wearing two separate vests, one on top of each other in this episode. Maybe you got fish blood and guts from the crocodile farm on the one that's underneath? No, this was when they were in Old Havana still. He was wearing both in Old Havana and on the boat, actually. (laughs) Maybe it was just really cold in Havana in December. Oh, and Sarah has the great quote... After James just relents and lets her do whatever she wants, where, yeah, right after she has the, if you don't really prove me wrong, then I must be right. And then she goes on to say, Do you see the method? Can we stick to this method? Do you want to stick with this method? Does he have a choice? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can we stick to the method? Do you want to stick with this method, James? Can we do this method? I want to do this method. Do you want to stick with this method? Because I think it's a great method. <laughs> if you don't stick with the method, you got rocks in your head, mate. Exactly. (laughs) And Grace says that she's so excited to make a daiquiri, although she couldn't pronounce one an hour beforehand. James and Sarah leave Poozle in fourth, after her plan actually does work, hilariously. And Sticky and Sam leave Goozle in fifth. However, Sticky and Sam, as we said, were the recipients of the must-vote U-turn and had to use their unaired express pass on the puzzle challenge. No one has officially confirmed what the votes were, but the conventional wisdom is that four teams, James and Sarah, Joseph and Grace, Paul and Stephen, Michelle and Joe, vote Sticky and Sam. Uh, Lucy and Amelia voted Shane and Andrew, and Shane and Andrew and Sticky and Sam voted for Paul and Steve. Oh, James and Sarah also have another confessional after finishing the detour where James says, well, a good leader has to learn how to follow. And then Sarah says, happy wife, happy life is another, it's another expression. And I thought that was quite interesting because, because the backstory of how these guys met is that Sarah got into a relationship when she was 16. She married that guy. And then that all kind of fell apart and she was feeling a bit sorry for herself went to a bar and James was the bartender there. Then they started talking just as friends, then they became friends with benefits and then they kind of put a label on it. I, I have to say, she looks older than her years. There was not one confessional where, I don't know whether you noticed, she hadn't put her eyebrows on properly and she looks so much younger and so much better than what she does normally. Like, she's really harsh with all her makeup in this show. She's not as harsh now, but she's had so much work done. I was going to say, I think nowadays she has toned it down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, So then we get the hilarious moment with the the daiquiri guzzle where Grace drops her glasses and one of the locals actually has to put his hands over his ears because of the noise (laughs) of them flashing. (laughs) That was my favourite part. And they then switch to Puzzle, and Joseph loses his temper with her. That's the last time you make a decision. 
And then after Grace has messed up this daiquiri task, when they switch over to the puzzle, Grace says, well, doing puzzles is your thing, so show me, show me what you got, Joseph. I'm thinking Joseph was the only one who could do the daiquiri task. And he didn't even want to do it, and now he's expected to do the whole puzzle. And Joseph also did the roadblock, so, so Grace didn't do the roadblock, is responsible for the failure of the detour task that only she wanted to do, and then the other detour task, she's not going to do anything. Yeah, what you couldn't see on the puzzle task is that Grace is just in the background doing uh, snow angels on uh, the Plaza della Revolution. She was doing communist angels. So when they get to the crocodile farm, they find out that they do have to shovel dead fish, which I'm sure the vegan warriors would have loved. And the fish absolutely reeks. Yeah, it's if, if the boats in the Hemingway Marina didn't make you nauseous, then this will do it. Everyone's going to have an empty stomach by the time they hit the pit stop. And in another unintentional bit of smut, Steve tells Paul not to yank it when they're trying to catch the crocodile. Nice and slow. And he finds a silly crocodile, and they leave in first. And teams must travel by foot and then speedboat to Hotel Viaguama, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in may be eliminated. Steve Irwin must be so pissed he missed out on this task. There was an Aussie actually helping them. Well, obviously an Aussie's run the crocodile farm. Did you hear that when the guy was telling him what to do? I presume they're still Australian expats who, whose family lived and worked at the sugar mill or something. Maybe. But yeah, there's always you, there's always small communities of certain nationalities everywhere because of some sort of industry that existed long before it. They tend to stick around. It's like the Mennonites that hang around in Belize. Really? Yeah, there's Men- yeah Belize has a big Mennonite community. I think. Uh, I think German, yeah, German Mennonites. Sorry, what are Mennonites? This is something new for Amish. me. Oh. Kind of like Amish, yeah. Okay. But yeah, there's a legitimate, reasonably sized community of Mennonites in Belize. Interesting. Why didn't Amazing Race Australia 6 go there to uh, to visit them? I don't know. <laughs> they, I mean, maybe, maybe going there would have resulted in a 7 minute and 26 second penalty. I don't know. <laughs> So Shane and Andrew leave in second, and in an awkward moment for Grant, the teams actually come in behind him. Yeah, you don't see that. Yeah, it's another thing where production probably should have thought about that, because it's not a good visual. Yeah, you get to see the back of Grant Buller's head as he checks to see who's coming in first or last. Yeah, there's no real intrigue when you see teams docking as it is behind him. So unsurprisingly, Paul and Steve checking in first, and they win a trip 4-2 not from Travelocity to Queenstown, worth 10,000 didgeridolaroos. And Grant does say to them that they have come in first three legs in a row. I do appreciate the Cuban Chris Kringle as the pit stop breeder. Was he meant to be Hemingway? I don't think so. He'd be way that's he'd be way too tanned to be Hemingway. Hemingway's beard is quite a bit different, I think. This is more of a borderline Karl Marx beard. Shane and Andrew checking in second, Joseph and Grace leave Puzzle in last, and they find a taxi driver to take them to the motorway for 20 pesos. Which is how much, Saunders? 20 Cuban pesos? Wouldn't that be, well, isn't that like three or six dollars? This isn't a trick question, by the way, I have no idea. Oh. (laughs) Not much money. (laughs) Well, Cuba's really confusing because they use three different currencies. They have the US dollar that they use for really touristy spots or the airport. Then they have the cook, which is always meant to be equal to the U.S. dollar that only tourists use for touristy places, where they always make sure it's a one-to-one ratio. And then you have the Cuban peso, or the coupe, which is what the locals use and what tourists only use at really local places that aren't really, that tourists don't really go to. And I think, I'm trying to remember, I know that, I know the ratio is really wonky on that one. Can Americans still not go to Cuba? They were allowed to go to Cuba for a few years, and then in 2016 when they had the whole... That was the weird incident with the American embassy there where they thought the Cuban government was sabotaging them by sending poisonous radio frequency waves that was used as a tactic during the Cold War era to give the enemies headaches. And shortly after that, that's when they all packed up and banned Americans from going to Cuba again. Why do they still have American dollars? 
just because it's a strong because it's a strong currency. Oh, you think they'd get rid of it? In fact, people were surprised only a couple of weeks ago from when we record this by the fact that um, if you have a Cuba stamp in your passport now, you can't get an Esther to go into America. You have to go into a proper interview again. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, because there were people on cruises and stuff that were meant to go to Cuba that found out when they were on the cruises. Because I think it's one of those situations now where Cuba, like Israel, will not actually stamp your passport. They'll give you something to put in your passport to get around it. Okay, I think I may have had that. Yeah, because when I went to Israel, they had like a like one of those weird little ticket things you get at, uh, at US Customs, but that was just my visa or my temporary visa. Yeah, Israel they've stopped they stopped stamping a long time ago. Yeah, cuz when if you cuz before it was optional and I remember one of my friends she said, "Well, no one else wants the stamp, but I want the stamp in my passport." Not realizing that everyone's rejecting the stamp because then that means you pretty much can't go anywhere else in the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, it would have been cool for me to have a stamp in my passport, but not that cool. No, to where you can't go to about 30 or 40 different countries. Sam reads the map wrong and they head in the wrong direction and head back to the detour after about an hour of driving. Michelle and Joe catch a croc in third and they argue about who caught it. They call it wrestling a crocodile is how they described it. And I'm thinking, do you know what wrestling means? I don't recall. It's uh, I don't recall Michelle and Joe like scurrying on the ground trying to clamp the croc's mouth shut. Just ask Sue and Teresa. They know what WWF is. <laughs> Flying elbow drop on the back of a croc. <laughs> a reptile. Reptile kick. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that production basically said, said that Sticky and Sam got eliminated because they went in the wrong direction for an hour. Whereas we know that's not true. It's a part of it. They did lose a chunk of time, but they said it was because of the what happened at the detour, right? Yeah, it was because of the must vote U-turn rather than the uh, rather than them getting lost. Lucy and Amelia find Australia without getting lost, and there's no princess time. They just have to get stuck in. James and Sarah catch a croc in fourth, and Sarah tries telling Lucy and Amelia how gross it is, but in a hilariously subtle moment, Lucy just tells us she'll be able to have a shower soon. <laughs> she don't want to engage. <laughs> And Lucy and Amelia tribute doing well on this leg because Lucy says, if there's a task that doesn't require any skill, I can get the job done. <laughs> Next leg, however, not so much. <laughs> Next leg, it's just, you can get to the pit stop as long as you have a few dollars in your pocket. Yeah. Michelle and Joe checking in third with James and Sarah in fourth. And Amelia is the crocodile whisperer and gets one fairly easily. The crocodile pens have crosses on them as to whether teams have arrived yet or not, and as a result, Grace knows that they are in sixth. Lucy and Amelia check in in fifth, Joseph and Grace leave in sixth, and she actually reads out the clue as will be eliminated, but other teams, including Sticky and Sam after them, read it out as may be eliminated. They check in in sixth, and Sticky and Sam check in in last and are eliminated from the race. And we get a very rare Matt chat with neither team being at the pit stop, or it's not really match chat, like after two teams have checked in, the post-match chat, and not even have the last place team check in yet. That is very, very unusual to see in an episode. Yeah. And do you think that Grace's apology was sincere? <laughs> no, because right afterwards she backs out on her apology. She has a confessional right after we're... Was it Joseph says, oh, if we need to help you down the line, we'll do it. Sarah says, or um, Grace hugs both James and Sarah and says, I think, you know, I'm really, I'm really sorry about this. And then Sarah just immediately calls Grace's bluff and says, Joseph, I think you're more sorry. And Grace, I think you're less sorry about this. And then when they sequester Joseph and Grace for another confessional after this confrontation, Grace says, I, I'm not going to make it up to them. That's not an apology then. Grace's exact quote was, I have apologised and she should accept it. That's not how apologies work, Grace. And then Joseph backs out on helping them too. It's the most insincere apology in Amazing Race ever, probably. As much as these first eight episodes have been a lot of me, especially moaning about how terrible a person Grace is in this season, as I said last episode, I think Joseph is just as culpable for a lot of these things. 
he should, especially if he's allegedly like the man of the house and stuff, he should be having a quiet word with her going, you can't treat people like that. Yeah, but I mean, he knew he was outright lying here too, saying, no, if we need to help you down the line, we'll do it. Oh, no, wait, we're not, I'm not going to. You're right, Grace, we're, we're, we're never going to help them. I don't, I don't know why I said that to them. And then Sarah you know, saw through the BS right away and said, no, you're not, you're not going to help us. You're not really, you, you said in the confessional that you would, you would steal our cat, but not anybody else's. Sarah, for all her faults, has a spectacularly good bullshit radar. Yes. She shows it here, and she shows it in maths as well. She is very good at cutting through people's bullshit. She's a very good judge of character. And Sticking Sam get eliminated. Yeah, I was going to say, and the footnote for this episode (laughs) is that Sticking Sam go home. So sad. (laughs) It's very rare to see a team get such a big edit in the first three or four episodes and last deep into the season and have their last four episodes of their run be completely swept under the rug. We don't see them use the Express Pass. We don't see them get U-turned. They're not a part of any story, really, even though all the teams were so worried about Sticky and Sam that they U-turned them instead of Paul and Steve. Yeah, the problem is for Sticky and Sam, and I'm sure they'll end up listening to this, and I'm sure we'll end up inevitably talking to them. The problem is that as soon as their airtime stops, you have the Paul incidents, plural. You have the Grace incidents, plural. You have all of the other teams basically overshadowing them. You have James and Sarah figuring out their relationship, which is highly entertaining. And then you have Lucy and Amelia doing Lucy and Amelia things. Yeah, the problem for Sticky and Sam is that they are two really nice guys, two really competitive guys, two really successful guys in terms of the race at the start of the season. But they don't really have a part of any of the drama that overtakes the middle of this season. And as a result, they get vastly under-edited from the Mm. first three episodes. What's really interesting, too, with Sticky and Sam is just just a complete fall with not really being shown. It's just like, oh yeah, they got eliminated. We're not going to give any context for it. And the fact that they got U-turned, I'm guessing another reason why maybe the must-vote U-turn went unaired is because it'd be tough to explain it when Sticky and Sam hadn't really been doing well for the last three or four legs. Overall, it seemed like they just had a tough time figuring out how to get around Cuba, too. Yeah. It's a real shame. I was a huge fan of them at the time. I'm still a huge fan of them on this rewatch. The problem is, everyone else's drama, maybe with the exception of Shannon and Andrew, overshadows them for a lot of the the middle bit of this season. Yeah. Another thing that's puzzling, too, is the U-turn and yield... Paul and Steve, when Paul and Steve weren't finishing anything above fifth, Paul and Steve are on their way to winning the fourth episode in a row and don't get U-turned and are spared from it. Very, very strange. I don't understand it at all. I wonder whether it is because Paul and Steve were so far ahead that nobody thought that a U-turn on them would really have that much of an impact. That's true, like a self-preservation thing, thinking, well, Steve probably had some sort of job uh, putting puzzles together, so we're not going to bother you turning them. And with Paul's being in the top 2% of the IQ in Australia. (laughs) If you think about it from Grace's point of view, as much as I don't want to, she is the most likely to be vindictive towards Paul and Steve with a U-turn vote. She votes for Sticky and Sam, because Sticky and Sam are the only team that Joseph and Grace really need to be in this leg. So she puts her personal wrong feelings aside about Paul and tries self-reservation, which is the correct move for Grace, but probably isn't the right move generally. So the Hemingway Marina was probably where they had the must-vote U-turn, because they probably saw they would have been able to see everyone sign up for the individual boats and then U-turn based on whoever is the strongest team that has the later boat. Then that makes sense. Yeah. I think it was most likely at the Hemingway Marina. I don't know whether it was the night or the morning. They may have done it in the morning before teams actually departed on the boats. Because he would have had Joseph and Grace, Lucy and Amelia, and James and Sarah all near the bottom in the later boats, while teams you think would be U-turns, such as Paul and Steve, Michelle and Joe, and Shane and Andrew, would have all been in the earlier sign-ups, and no one really went after them in the U-turn. And I mean, from Lucy and Amelia's point of view, the only ones who didn't vote for 
either alpha male team here. They know that Shane and Andrew aren't getting U-turned. They just don't want to be meanie pants and cause any issues with anyone. Is my read on the situation. Yeah, Mm. that makes sense. Yeah. So next time, with only four legs remaining, the race heads to Vancouver. As one team bears all, Shane and Andrew offer to pay extra for a cab. Someone crumbles, and Lucy apologises to Amelia. Vancouver's expensive. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... I don't think Michelle's been to Vancouver, but Logan and I very much have, together, in one case. (laughs) No, I haven't. I've only been to Canada in the respect of Niagara Falls. Just that little bit, just entered that little bit and then left again. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about this leg? Nope. Nope. Excellent. In that case, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Australia 2 recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number nine. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogSquacky, Michelle is better. And I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash RTV Warriors. See you next week. Bye. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Today to Guzzle or Shay Puzzle? I'm going with Shay Puzzle. I've got a bite. Do you have any eggs, dickhead? Back to the marina, please, sir.